All right. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Titus. You can give me a little wave, a little like shout out. It's good to have the McCurleys back with us this Shabbat. We are glad to see you guys. How's everybody feeling? I know the flu has been kind of going around, strep throat, all that. We're glad that you guys are here with us. We're glad that you guys are feeling well. My understanding is, is that Cameron, our, uh, one of our lead tech guys back there, has solved the mystery of the YouTube and Facebook live stream problems. And my understanding is, is that we are actually streaming on both plat- platforms simultaneously. Is that correct? Fantastic. Awesome. So, Cameron, thank you for all of that. Uh, a couple quick announcements then. We have a, a, a short special presentation this week. Um, kids program on February 15th. That is next Saturday. We will have our children's program during the main message. Uh, tonight we have our real family life group, which is meeting at the Frickers home, uh, which is right around the corner here in Moore. Um, my understanding is it's a taco bar tonight, uh, from the text messages from, uh, James Foster. So, Information is in the bulletin if you would like to attend the, uh, the Real Life Marriage Group this evening. Um, I guess that means it's going to be spicy. Thanks, Ephraim. Thank you for making, me, making me feel good about myself with a funny little joke. Everybody else just looked at me and they're like, why does this guy, why do they allow him to talk? What would oh, you say, Ray? Corning. I am a dad. It is a dad joke. There's no doubts about it. But thanks, thanks for keeping it real. That's the kind of accountability I need, Ray. It's not just in the spiritual walk. It's in the joke life, too. So thank you. All up my joke game. So I um, also want to let you guys know that uh, on March 5th, which is coming up here really shortly, uh, coming up real quickly, uh, Dr. Diana Dye from uh, Foundations in Torah will be here as our special guest speaker. A little, a little fun trivia for you. She was the very first guest speaker to ever stand on the stage here at HFF right after we started. Uh, For those who don't know her, she uh, speaks very heavily about the temple, uh, the Garden of Eden, and new creation. Uh, I'm a huge fan of her teachings. And so she's going to be here on March 5th uh, as a special guest uh, speaker. We need to keep Daniel Musson in our prayers. This is the last Shabbat. He's going to be with us for almost a month and a half. Um, He's going to be traveling to Israel next week. Uh, He'll be working in the vineyards with Hayavel, and then he'll be back in about two weeks uh, for about three days, just long enough for uh, his family to miss him. And then he's going to turn right around and go to New Zealand, and he is going to speak in the beautiful country of New Zealand. For those who don't know, New Zealand is that really small country next to the really pretty country of Australia. Sorry, sorry, Uriah. That was a corny joke, too. Okay, I'm working on up in my game, Ray. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm not there yet. Um, we're going to do something a little special today. Uh, I want to bring up Daniel, and I want to bring up Sarah and Cameron, and we're going to introduce them to you guys. We're going to stand right here in this baptismal map. It's a map of baptismals. So um, we like to talk about the things we're good about. And that's all those things. We're good at a lot of different things. 
Oh, poor Autumn sitting in her wagon she's trying. <laughs> Autumn Musson broke her leg this week for those who are praying for her. She's doing just fine. She's got her older sisters waiting on her hand and foot. Uh, so she has already learned how to deal with this. But uh, we like to talk. We like to talk about the things that we do well, but sometimes we uh, we don't like to address some of the areas that we feel like we we really need to do better. One of the areas we feel like as a congregation that we need to do better is we need to do better in our hospitality. Um, and most of the time, you see, you come in. A lot of people are running around like crazy. It's a huge facility. Every week, they've got. 800 chairs or 500 chairs or 300 chairs or new lights or whatever. Everything's changing. They're upgrading the facility constantly, and we're very blessed by that. But just in order to put the service on uh, some Shabbats, we don't have the opportunity or we don't find the opportunity to stop, greet people at the door, say Shabbat Shalom. As a family fellowship, a fellowship that encourages the family to be together during the service and encourages us to worship together, um, that's kind of a failure that we both feel that uh, we need to do better in. So uh, this week, well, for many weeks, we've been praying for the, the right people to do that. And uh, this week, it came up in conversation with the Wallaces, and they were like, hey, we would, we would love to do that. And Sarah was like, yay, me. I, I love talking to people. I love making people feel good. And so we're introducing to you Cam and Sarah Wallace, who are our new heads of hospitality. They're going to be kind of taking care of the welcome bar, and when you walk in, um, Sarah has graciously agreed to stand in the rain anytime it rains all morning long to make sure that you don't get wet. You didn't, you didn't know that. You didn't know that was on the list. Okay, sorry. We'll talk about the job description. They promise not to wear black every week. <laughs> okay, you can see we have some negotiations still going on here. We'll have to do that after the Sabbath. Uh, so, um, but, ladies and gentlemen, Sarah and Cam have served the Messianic Hebrew Roots community uh, in this area for a really long time. Got two wonderful boys. What's up, Shepard? No, Shepard's not feeling it. Not feeling. It. What's up, Emmett? Emmett's definitely not feeling. It. Emmett's hiding. Two wonderful boys over there, and they've served this community for for all four years that we've been here, and uh, even before HFF existed. So uh, we're really glad to have you guys joining with us with that, and thank you guys for stepping up to take the leadership. How about giving them a round of applause? Anything you guys want to say? All right. I like them even better. They're not trying to steal the microphone. So, All right. Let's go ahead. Let's stand up. Let's find somebody we don't know. Let's say Shabbat Shalom to them. And we're going to go ahead and get started with some praise and worship this morning.
Father, we just thank you for this Sabbath day. We thank you for the opportunity to come together. Father, we lift you up. Yahweh Elohim Adonai Zava. Oh, blessed be your name in this place. Father, during this Sabbath time, as we come together as a community, continue to press us, Father. Press our hearts, mold us, and make us to be more like you. Father, we thank you for your Torah. We thank you for your Son. And Yeshua. Wow. 
that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever wandering heart. Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading, in a day and gone tomorrow. A wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind, still you. me when I'm falling and you told me who I am I am
if I had done what all of my skills had told me to do, I probably would have absolutely blown that conversation. I probably would have absolutely made it worse than it was. And at that point in time, it felt like we were, we were a car getting ready to go off a cliff. And at that point in time, there was a peace and the whole conversation turned. And so as we sang Waymaker, and I, I didn't know Amy had that in her, her list this week of songs, it reminded me of that moment where God had stepped in. And just like he did with the Israelites when they came out of Egypt, he parted the sea that was in front of us and he gave us the path to walk forward. There's a time in this life where God has given you the skill and the talent to be able to work and to move with your own hands. And there are times when he has given you those gifts and they are not good enough to solve the problem. Only he is strong enough, wise enough, and good enough to solve that problem. Only he had the power to split the sea, not Moses, he. Only he had the power to send his son to change all of history, to conquer death, to defeat it, to make a way back for the redemption of all of Israel. Only he. You know, we say, Baruch haba Bashem Adonai. Baruch haba Bashem Adonai. And this week I found myself saying, Hineni Adonai, here I am. I thought I knew what I needed to do. And all I need to do is say, here I am. You do. You deal. As a father of five kids, that's not always easy. It's not always easy. As a father of a, or as a husband of a strong wife, it's not always easy to just say, here I am. Our culture, our world tells us we got to do it. We can do it. There's nothing we can do or nothing we can't do. And God reminds us there's a lot we can't do without him. There is a lot we cannot do without him. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Sabbath day. Father, we thank you for each and every person that's with us online, in-house. In Father, we, those who are traveling right now, we ask that you would keep them safe. I know we have family members who are, who are on cruises and family members who are traveling back from working remotely throughout the week to be with their family. Father, keep them safe in their travels. Father, this world does not want us to have peace. This world does not want us to take a Sabbath day. This world does not want us to be obedient to your words. But your words say that there is blessings in the obedience. Father, I thank you for, for showing me this week that you're still moving in our midst. I thank you, Lord, this week for showing me that I'm not enough without you. As we continue through the seasons, Father, getting ready for Purim and Passover and unleavened bread, first fruits, Father, the celebration of the resurrection of Messiah. 
and the giving of his life. The celebration of you bringing our ancestors out of Egypt. May we teach these words to our children. May we lift our hands in praise to teach our children that you alone are worthy of praise, Father. May we not be like this world. May we not find our hope in mere man, but in you alone. Yahweh Elohim, the Lord of hosts, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, blessed are you. Father, we lift our, our ailments to you. Those who have been fighting off sinuses and the flu and strep and all of those things that are happening. Father, we lift them up to you. We ask that you would heal them. Father, that you would protect the family members, protect the moms who are constantly taking care of the sick little ones. Protect them, Father. Give them strength. Give them peace. Give them comfort. Father, for any, any physical or financial burdens, you know them. You're right there walking alongside of each and every one of us, Father. Father, help us to see the breakthrough that you would have for us, Father. Help us to see the path, Father. Reveal in your word by the power of your Holy Spirit how you would have us go. For in you is power and in you is blessings. Father, I confess that we love you with all of our hearts, all of our soul, and all of our mind. Father, for the Drews family, for Daniel, as they get to, get to go travel here for a little bit, Father, that's exactly what our heart was as a congregation, is that you would bring in and equip and send out. Send out, Father, that we may do the work of your kingdom in this life. That if it would be your will, we would see the return of Mashiach. Father, we give you all the honor and the glory and the praise and the adoration in this place. Name of Yeshua, we humbly come before you. Amen and Amen. All right, little ones, it's time for us to bless you. Get the hoopah out. I know Titus, you've been sick, man. We're glad to have you back. Your hand is sticky. Okay, well, you can touch sister. Go ahead, come on up. We're gonna get the hoopah out. We're going to bless you underneath that. You lost. Oh, I guess you won. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for these beautiful young faces that are before us. Thank you, Father, for entrusting us 
as stewards of their lives. Thank you, our great King, for teaching us through them and showing, uh, showing us, the parents, how you look at us as we look at our children. Father, may our love for you continue to grow through the examples that we see through our children loving us and through us loving our children. We lift them up to you and we pray that your hand would be upon them today, that you would cause them to walk in your ways, to seek your paths of righteousness and to follow it, to seek that narrow path. Father, may they never depart from your ways, but instead may they grow to be leaders in their communities. May they be staunch stalwarts in their surroundings. May they be bastions of faith before you. May the young men grow up to be like Ephraim and Manasseh. May they be fruitful and may they multiply in everything that they apply themselves to. May everything that they do succeed. Father, we pray that you would bless the young ladies like Ruth and like Esther. May their word and their testimony be faithful and true. May they be dedicated to you all the days of their lives. We surrender these children to you, Father, and we pray that your blessing would be upon them and that you would order their footsteps. We thank you for the pleasure it is to have them in our lives. And we pray all these things in the name of your Son, Yeshua, our Savior, our Master, our King. Amen. All right. Shabbat shalom, everybody. How are you today? That was mumbly. Really mumbly. <laughs> Shabbat shalom, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody's there. All right. So today we are covering a passage, moving on in Exodus, starting in chapter 13, uh, verse 17. Um, it's... Uh, Beshalach, so when he sent. Um, this passage of scripture is awesome because it's, it's probably one of the coolest stories in the Bible about the children of Israel walking through the two walls of water across the Red Sea. So um, I'll just give a little bit of context. We'll start in verse 17 here. Um, it says, and it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go. So again, the children of Israel are, are at this point, the 10 plagues are done. Pharaoh's done, at least he thinks he's done, and the children of Israel, they're, they're making the way out. The Passover is completed there in Egypt. They're on their way. And God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war. We'll get back to that word perhaps here in just a little bit. And return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. I, uh, I don't know, I, I think maybe I was kind of taking more of a cynical approach when I was reading this passage this week, and I, I was just thinking, like, God asked the children of Israel, or no, no, Joseph asked the children of Israel, so, yeah, you're going to take my corpse back with you? And they're like, what? Oh, Okay. All right, that sounds kind of gross. Are, are we sure? And he said, yes. And the reason you're going to know is if God visits you, 
That's how you're going to know. So that's pretty convincing. If God's going to visit you or visit us, then okay, all right, we'll take your bones out of here if God visits us. You know, we're pretty comfortable here in Egypt, but okay. Sure enough, 400 years later, they're carrying his bones up out of Egypt. So they took their journey with Sukkot and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by, by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day at night and night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So I think it's interesting how what God says lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war. Because if you think about what actually happens, he was going to lead the people out of, out of the land of Egypt. They're going to go, you know, by the way of the Philistines. And if they were to see war, that would have discouraged them. But what was the alternative that actually happened? They went by the way of the Red Sea, which was a dead end. And then they were going to be slaughtered by all the Egyptians. Talk about discouraging, right? Instead of Oh, there's fighting. Well, let's go back home. No, no, we're about to be slaughtered by the Egyptian army. And God chose this way? Talk about discouraging. Talk about really discouraging. We're about to die. So, again, I think it's, it's almost like the Lord is like, you know how a dad, when he's being kind of cynical to his children on his under birthday, and their, their sons, maybe your daughters, maybe asking them, hey, are we going to have cake on my birthday? And dad's like, son, we're not having cake on your birthday. You're getting cake, ice cream, and a birthday party. So <laughs> instead of, instead of the, being discouraged by, the, by the, the, the wars of the Philistines, rather, he got to display his great power and his great deliverance of them being pushed to the edge of the Red Sea, them about to be slaughtered by the Egyptians. And then yet again, he got to see, the, the children of Israel got to see the death of their captors, or cap, or, um, the death of those who had been whipping them, beating them, abusing them, and God, took the, God was able to glorify himself through this mighty act. I also have to imagine, too, being the Egyptian army, approaching the children of Israel, getting ready to slaughter them, and saying, finally, get to get, get, end these Israelites. And then all of a sudden, they see the walls part, or the water part into walls, and the children of Israel go into it. And I imagine Pharaoh at this point, he's like a deranged villain at the end of a movie. You know, he's just, ah, I'm going to get those Israelites. And then all, all, the, all the leaders of the, of the army, all the chariot riders, all the soldiers, they're like, okay, all right, here we go. Are we sure about this? We're riding in. Uh, well, it was nice knowing you. I just I can imagine them being so overwhelmed and so taken by the fact that you know we're probably going to die in this because obviously the God of Israel is establishing great power. He's revealing his power over his people and against us. What I think is is so great and glorious about this is that rather than God taking them by the way of the Philistines and then maybe being discouraged by the war. And then at the same time, the children of Israel wouldn't have such a great testimony to those nations through whom they were going. It says in chapter 15, this is after 
the walls had come down on the, on the Egyptians and destroyed the chariots, destroyed Pharaoh, destroyed the army. And of course, word at that point is going to travel. It says in verse, bear with me. Verse 14. The people will hear and be afraid. And sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. And the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. And all the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. For fear and dread will fall on them. And by the greatness of your arm, they will be, as, they will be still as a stone. Again, God was leading them past nations that they weren't going to destroy. God was leading them past Edom, but he was leading them, again, they were going to be destroying the nations that were in the land specifically. So God, he diminished the amount of fighting, the amount of death, the amount of killing through the testimony of the destruction of of the Egyptian army. God's about life. God is about preservation. So where I'm going with that is our lives, they can be a testimony. Even the little things that we do the little things that we say, the little things that God has has done for us in our lives, that is our living testimony. And so, the more we speak about God, the more we invoke his name in our lives, again, we are promoting, I guess in a sense, the fear of God, but also the love of God to those that we are around. We're promoting a desire for him and we live out that desire just as when, Pharaoh, or when Moses spoke out and said, you know, the fear of you is going to be upon all these nations because of this great work that you've done. We can do that as well. We can partake of the power of God and display it to others that they might fear and revere God through our testimony. One more point I wanted to make too. I found this is amazing. God, he, he delivers his people out of so much. We see that like, Water is, is a mysterious thing. It's a troubling thing. And I think the imagery that God has also, as well as the truth of what actually happened, the metaphor that we can see take place through Noah. God raised up Noah, and he created an ark to rise above the water, which is an image of Yeshua. God raised up Moses, and God used Moses to part the waters, and he delivered them through the waters. And later on, we see Yeshua himself walking on the water, when we walk with him and we humble ourselves before him, submit to him, where we get to rise above the confusion to separate, and separate ourselves from the things of the world, the confusion of the world. And what a better testimony than that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you have desire for us to be with you, Father. Thank you that we make ourselves low before you, Father. You are a light to us. And that if we were to exalt ourselves against you, Father, you are a dark cloud like it was for the Egyptians. Father, we thank you so much that you are a great, mighty, and glorious God. You can deliver us through the fire, Father, and that is our baptism, that is our testimony. And we desire, Father, whatever we struggle with, Father, whatever we face, that you are still greater. And may the testimony of our lives, Father, even if it seems minimal, may it be something that casts forth a desire for you, that projects, Father, a desire for you, a relationship with you to those that were around. You are great and you are glorious, Father. We just lift up your name today and may your spirit rest upon us that it might move us to bring about your kingdom in our lives and individually within our hearts and our families and the community around us. 
We praise you this day in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. Amen. What an amazing deliverer we serve. Making that Red Sea part so that our forefathers could walk through on dry ground and destroying completely our enemies who pursued us. Just what an amazing story. What an amazing king we serve who would do such a thing and, and show the world of his glory. It's, it's just an amazing thing. Uh, it's with uh, bittersweetness that I'm up here today. Um, you know, it, it's uh, the, the last time I'll get to speak to you guys, my family, uh, until April. Uh, because I'll be gone and traveling and everything. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's bittersweet because I'm going to get to go to Israel. And that is very, very sweet. I, I have this, this fear that I have vocalized many times. So forgive me if you've heard me say this multiple times. But I have this fear that I'm going to get off the plane there in Tel Aviv. And I'm just going to start crying. And I'm not going to be able to stop crying the whole time I'm there. Um, so if not for the kindness of, of someone to sponsor me, and if not for the kindness of my employers to bend over backwards to provide the opportunity for me to go, I don't know that I would have had the opportunity to go to Israel. And now I'm going to be able to spend two weeks there um, blessing the people of the land and being blessed in, in return. Um, it's bittersweet because I'll be back for a Shabbat, but I won't have the opportunity to really share with you. I may be very well jet-lagged at that stage, and so they've not put any responsibilities on me that weekend, weekend I'm back, and then I'll be leaving again to go to New Zealand. And so it'll be April before I get to see you guys again uh, at that point. So, um, But that said, um, amazing opportunities. I'm, I'm so thankful that uh, the Father has provided for us to be able to uh, pursue these these avenues. Now, uh, Stephen focused primarily on the the latter portion of the parasha this week in Beishelach, where in the latter portion, the deliverance, the parting of the Red Sea, and the army of, of Pharaoh being drowned in the sea. Um, I'd like to set the stage a little bit for this parasha. You see, what happens here, of course, we know the story of the Exodus. So in the past several weeks, we've been reading about the plagues that have taken place, how Moshe and Aharon have come before Pharaoh, and they said, this, thus says the Lord, let my people go, or this will happen. And this happened. And we see that in the first three plagues, that the children of Israel, the indication is that they suffered right along with the people of Egypt, that they suffered through those plagues as well. However, we then see that there's a distinction made in the fourth plague. And in that fourth plague onward, for the next seven plagues, the children of Israel are spared. The children of Israel have no suffering from the plagues that take place. And there's a distinction that's made. And then we see with the death of the firstborn from last week that, that Pharaoh says to the people, get out of here. Take your people and go. Finally, his heart isn't hard any longer, and he says, get out of here. And so that's what brings us to this week's readings, where the children of Israel, they're leaving the land of Egypt. 
we see what happens. They've just been set free from their slavery. They've been sent out to journey to the land promised to their forefathers. But they find themselves in the undesirable position of coming to an uncrossable body of water. So if you look at the the geography of where they came to, they were basically choked off on a beach between a mountain pass. They took this mountain pass, arrive on the beach, and behind them is the mountain pass they came through, and in front of them, in front of them is the Red Sea. And they, they have a, a place where it's kind of like, okay, what now? And then they hear the hoofbeats in the distance. And they see the cloud of dust rising from behind them because the armies of Egypt are pursuing them. And as they look at the horizon, it says in chapter 14, verse 10, that they lifted up their eyes and they became greatly afraid. The problem that occurred here isn't that the armies of Egypt were pursuing them. It was that the children of Israel took their eyes off of the pillar of cloud that was leading them. And they looked behind them to see what was pursuing them. And at that point, we see in the very next two verses, verse 11 and 12 of chapter 14, that fear overtakes them. And what happens with fear? It leads to whining and complaining. And that is exactly what we see take place in chapter 14. As the children of Israel come up against the Red Sea, there seems to be no escape. And the armies are pursuing them. Fear overtakes them. Whining, complaining sets in. Moshe, why did you lead us out to this place to kill us? Moshe's response. Al-Tirah. Fear not. Now, this phrase that he uses, Al-Tirah, it harkens back to another time when that was first uttered. Bereshit, Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, where Adonai approaches Avraham, at that time Avram, and says to him, Al-Tirah, do not fear, Avram. I'm a shield to you. Your reward shall be great. And we see Moshe hearkening back to that moment and saying, do not fear, for he is our shield. And our reward will be great. And then Moshe says something absolutely amazing. He says, Stand by and urehu et yeshuat aronai. Stand by and see the salvation of Aronai. And then says, Aronai fights for you. Stand still. Now this flies in the face of what our natural reaction would be, right? There's psychologically the two responses, flight or fight. They can't flee because there's nowhere to go. So their next natural reaction is we have to fight. And Moshe says, chill. He's got this. Stand by. And watch his Yeshua, his salvation, be more than you need. The question we have to ask ourselves, naturally, in reading this, what do we do when we encounter fear? 
What do we do when we find that there's a formidable enemy behind us and a seemingly impassable situation in front of us? Do we give up? Throw ourselves into the sea and hope to swim across the ocean? Do we turn around and surrender to our enemy? Do we attempt to lose, uh, fight a losing battle by confronting our enemy? Or maybe we just bury our heads in the sand and hope it all goes away. Those are the typical reactions that we might have and the actions we might pursue. There's a, a, a little story that um, John Maxwell tells in one of his books that I've read, and I can't remember which one it is, um, so I apologize for not being able to point you in the right direction. But he, he, there's two stories that John Maxwell tells about a telescope. This is, this is one of those stories. In this story, he talks about how there was a class that went to the uh, observatory, and that they all, this class of uh, third graders, they all go to this, uh, this observatory, and there's this huge telescope there. And uh, they all take their turns and they all look and they go up to the telescope and they look through the, the eye hole and the, the teacher asks them, what do you see? And the kids are like, wow, wow, I see, I see all the stars and, and everything. And, and each kid comes up and they follow suit. They, they, oh, wow, I see all this stuff. And there's one kid, when he comes up, he looks and he says, I don't, I don't see anything. It's, it's just black. And the teacher says, oh, well, maybe, maybe you need to get your eye closer. And the kid gets his eye closer. and he, I, I, Teacher, I still don't see anything. It's all black. And the teacher finally takes the moment to look themselves and discovers that the cap was on the lens of the telescope. And once that was off, now they could truly see. But the kids' imaginations had gotten the best of them, and they thought that they could see all kinds of stuff. And what happened there was that each one, after the first one said, wow, each of the following kids had the expectation that there was something exciting to see. Until the one who said, I'm from Missouri. Okay. Now, this speaks to a greater trend that we might find ourselves following. There's, there's three typical reactions that we could have to this type of scenario. In this type of scenario, there's three different routes that we can take. When we encounter something that we seem to be uh, led in a certain direction. In the first reaction... It's the blind leading the blind. And we see this take place with the kids. That, that one person literally saw nothing. It was darkness. And yet in their mind they saw something. And then they placed the expectation upon others who picked it up. That there was something to see. And this was the blind leading the blind. Now the, this well known phrase comes from Luke chapter 6. Yeshua said to his disciples. A blind man cannot guide a blind man can he? Will not they both fall into a pit? Now, what gets overlooked is the, is the greater context that this verse is given in. The greater context of this portion of Luke chapter 6 is about not improperly judging our fellow man. 
when he makes the statement about the blind leading the blind, it's within the context of not judging our fellow man. Proof of that, two verses later, Yeshua speaks of another well-known verse about someone attempting to remove the speck out of their brother's eye when there's a plank in their own. And the instruction is to remove the plank in your own eye so that you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So the blind leading the blind is one of the reactions that we have to these different uh, things that we encounter in our lives. The question we have to ask there is, number one, are we blindly following? Number two, are we blindly leading? The second type of reaction that we can have is like the rest of the kids in that line. It's being a sheep. Just doing what everybody else is doing. Now, safe to say, most of the people within the sound of my voice here don't fit into that category most of the time. If you're here, it's because you've asked the questions. If you're in this place where you're, you're listening to this, it's because you don't consider yourself a sheep and you're not you know, just blindly following what everybody else is doing. Psalm 118.8 says, It's better to take refuge in Adonai than to trust in man. Typically what we do is we do what everybody else is doing. And we trust in that faithfulness that, well, um, if everybody's doing it, it must be right. Exodus 23 verse 2. You shall not follow the masses in doing evil. Now the irony of this verse is that um, this very verse is used by Judaism and twisted to its opposite meaning in order to justify the authority that the Sanhedrin has over the council of Adonai himself. In other words, we can change the rulings. Even though Moshe said this, we have the authority to change it. And they cite Exodus chapter 23 verse 2 for their, their text. The problem is, of course, it's being used completely out of context. And then we have a bunch of sheep that follow. The third reaction, and I, I would hope that most of us would fit into this category. The third reaction is like that little boy who came up and said, wait a minute. I'm not just going to trust what I've heard other people say. I'm going to trust what I can verify myself. This little boy was like the Berean. What is a Berean? Well, in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 11, we see that it says that the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, there's something that we can talk about. Paul, at this stage, this was a decade or two after Messiah had been resurrected. And Paul's still visiting the synagogues. When he goes to a new town, that's where he goes. That's something we could talk about for a while. Moving on, it says, Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. So the, the, those that were in the synagogue in Berea, it says were more noble-minded. What does that mean? For they received the word with great eagerness. One. 
examining the scriptures daily to to see whether these things were so. Three. These are the three instructions, the three requirements that Luke said classified these people in Berea as being more noble-minded. That they were willing to receive the word with eagerness. Like the little boy walking up to the telescope. It's not like he walked up there saying, I'm not going to see anything. He had an expectation placed upon him by what he had heard. Examining the scriptures daily. He examined for himself to see whether these things were so. You see, these Bereans, what they did was they heard with great eagerness the word. They sought after the word. They were passionate about it. But then they went and didn't just believe that, but went and searched themselves to verify and examined if that was a proper interpretation. That should be our approach. I I challenge you, don't believe what I'm saying. Go search it out for yourself. Go examine it. So we have to ask ourselves, which type are we in life? Are we the blind? Are we the sheep? Or are we the Bereans? Well, along those lines, in the greater context of this parasha, here's what happened. There was initially one person when hearing the hoofbeats and seeing the dust. It started with one person. We're doomed. And it spread from there. Until the whole group, the children of Israel, were complaining to Moshe. What would have happened if instead of that first person saying, we're doomed. What if the first person said, oh, I can't wait to see what my king does after those plagues he did there. How is he going to deliver us now? What kind of tone would that have set for the children of Israel at that stage? I, I would very, I'd be very tempted to, I want to ask the Lord when I get there, okay? If, if the children of Israel at that point, would Moshe have even had to put out his staff? Or would the Red Sea have just parted? If the whole, whole lot of them all just started rejoicing, said, Our king is more than great. He delivered us from our slavery. He caused all these plagues to happen. He's going to do it again. Would that sea have not parted all by itself? Well, the question we have to ask ourselves, do people see you as a rejoicer or as a complainer? Do you walk in peace and joy despite whatever circumstances you might find yourself in? Is that what you're known for? Or do we fall into the temptation of complaining, moaning, and generally being sour? Do we control our attitudes or do our circumstances control our attitudes? Like the children of Israel had the choice 
to believe and rejoice or to moan and complain. We have the same choice every day. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8, famous passage, right? Rejoice in Adonai always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Adonai is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to Elohim. And the peace of Elohim, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Messiah Yeshua. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything is worthy of praise, dwell on these things. There's a lot to tackle there. And a lot to live up to from Paul's words. But we have to ask ourselves, what is the picture that we're showing the world? Are we displaying the fruits of the Spirit? Or when people look at us, is it almost as if the lens cap is still on the telescope and they can't see anything? What do they see when they look at us? If we have been truly transformed by the Holy Spirit then we should be displaying the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Instead of spending all of our time looking at our circumstances, looking at our past, looking at what's behind us, looking at our failures, looking at our weaknesses, we should turn a blind eye to those things. We should be, through the power of the Holy Spirit that resides within us, walking in such a way that we are described by those who look at us as being the most peaceful, joyful, content people on the planet. Because after all, we have no reason to fear. He is our shield, and we have a great reward. Now, that isn't to say that we should be ignorant of the difficulties that we face in life. Ignoring our problems leads to far worse problems. But it is to say that we should be choosing to rejoice in Adonai always. And again, I say rejoice. When Paul exhorted the church at Philippi to rejoice and then again to rejoice, he wasn't making up something new. Paul wasn't just someone who says, oh, you guys need to celebrate. In fact, Paul was referring to what takes place eight times in the book of Deuteronomy. Eight times in the book of Deuteronomy, we are commanded to rejoice. Eight times in the book of Deuteronomy, it says, you shall rejoice. Oh man, that law, it's so hard to keep. Golly, those commandments are so difficult. You shall rejoice. That actually might be one of the most difficult of them. Because our nature is to complain. But eight times we're commanded in Deuteronomy to rejoice. And Paul is simply repeating that here. We pride ourselves as Torah keepers on being faithful to keep the commandments of Adonai. Well, guess what? We're commanded to rejoice. So rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. This should be our calling card. 
Now, you might ask, Daniel, what do I have to rejoice in? How about rejoicing in being set free from the sin and the bondage to the flesh and its desires that you formerly found yourself enslaved to? How about rejoicing in the peace that comes with knowing that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? We can rejoice in the fact that the one we serve is matchless in faithfulness. Who is more trustworthy than Adonai? When you present your request to him, when you cry out to him because of the challenges you're facing, is he incapable of answering your prayers and fulfilling your requests? Is he incapable of meeting all your needs according to his riches and glory? Then why on earth would we worry about the things that we've surrendered to him? Give them to him and rejoice. Unless, of course, we haven't truly surrendered our circumstances to him. Because we want to maintain control. If we want to be in control, now we're talking a much deeper problem. In that scenario, we truly are blind because we place all of our circumstances right in front of our line of sight, blocking our view to see Him. Just like the children of Israel, when they took their eyes off of Adonai in order to look at their problems, that's when the complaining began. That's the pattern that we should recognize that takes place in our lives. That when we take our eyes off of him and look at our problems, we're just going to complain. But he commands us to rejoice. And if we continue looking at him, and we don't put our problems in the way, blocking our view of him, making us blind to see him, then we will be able to rejoice. His peace passes all understanding. If we're walking in that peace people around us should start asking questions about us because we should be different. Our best evangelism should be the peace and the joy that we exude, which then attracts people to us and prompts them to ask us questions, which in turn allows us to have the opportunity to point them to the king that we serve. Let me repeat Philippians 4, verse 5 for you. Now, I read to you out of the NASB, New American Standard. In that version, it says, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The King James renders that verse as, Let your moderation be known to all men. The ESV says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. I dare say, most of us are not known by our gentleness moderation, or reasonableness. Instead, many of us, if not most of us, are more likely looked at as borderline looney tunes because we lack self-control. With the exception of Stephen and Matthew, two guys who are so cool, so even-keeled. I admire those gentlemen. I often struggle with carrying myself in a reasonable fashion. I'm working on it, but sometimes I lose it. Just 
Ask my wife and kids. I go from zero to Hulk in about 0.3 seconds. I'm not known for my reasonableness all the time. That's why I admire someone like Matthew and someone like Stephen who carry themselves with such composure. When I visited the Druze in the hospital, when their little boy was facing life-changing, life-threatening symptoms, Stephen is totally calm. You can see beneath the surface there's some tension going on. But he's apologizing to me. Saying, I'm sorry that I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm not in control. I'm not, and I'm like, dude, if this is not in control, man, that's me every day. The solution to being reasonable and carrying ourselves in such a fashion is winning the war between our ears. What do we allow our thought life to dwell on? Do we, as Paul instructed, think about whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, excellent, and worthy of praise? Are these the things our minds dwell on? What do we focus our vision upon? What are we looking at? If we're meditating upon the things that are pure, lovely, etc., then this will be reflected in our demeanor, in the way that we carry ourselves and interact with others. Imagine, if you made the decision today, right here, right now, that when you walk out those doors right there, that you will never worry about another thing for the rest of your life. What, what would you look like? What would your life look like if you made that decision today? That the moment you walk out those doors, you'll never worry about another thing. Let's imagine, just for a moment, it's crazy talk, but let's just imagine that you decided to trust Adonai in all things. Imagine what type of person you would transform into. Imagine how others would describe you. Imagine the type of impact you would have on the world around you. You see, we're not so dissimilar from our forefathers in the, in our, in the faith. When they were pursued by the armies of Egypt and found themselves in a seemingly inescapable situation, sure to lead to their deaths, they resorted to whining and complaining. Like them, we tend to do the same thing when we're faced with difficult circumstances. Unlike them, most of us are in no way in a perceived danger of our lives. But we fall into the same pattern. In order to even become concerned with the army that was pursuing them, however, the children of Israel had to first and foremost take their eyes off of the pillar of cloud that was leading them. And guess what his response was? He took the cloud and inserted himself between them and the army they were looking at. How amazing is that? They took their eyes, we took our eyes off of him to look at our problems. Started whining and complaining. What did he do? His response? Puts himself back in our field of vision. Puts himself right back in front of us so that we're looking at him. So that we would be reminded, oh yeah, He's got this. 
They lost their focus on the one who was leading them and instead turned and looked at their circumstances. In a delicious irony, they lost their vision when they removed their focus from him. The vision of freedom. The vision of rejoicing in him. It was all lost the moment they took their eyes off of him and looked behind themselves at their problems instead. Let's not repeat the mistakes of our fathers. Let's not take our eyes off of the one who has orchestrated our freedom, who's led us thus far in a path to the promised land. Let's not make the mistake of focusing our eyes on the wrong things, followed by the inevitable complaining that comes with it, the moaning, the crying, the weeping over our circumstances that always happens when we make such a move. Instead, let's heed the words of Moshe. Don't take your eyes off the cloud. Be still. Stand by and see the Yeshua, the salvation of Adonai. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Be reasonable. Be anxious about nothing. And allow his amazing grace to give us all who were once blind the ability to see. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for your word. We ask that you would lead us in such a way that we would never take our eyes off of you. May we not be blind. May we not be sheep. But may we be diligent to receive what you've promised us with eagerness, to examine it, and to apply it to our lives in such a way that the world can see that we are led by an incredible king. Father, we surrender our hearts to you this day, and we pray in whatever means that we can that the words that were spoken here today would come true in our lives, that we would leave all of our worry behind, that we would walk out of those doors, change people, that we would not be concerned with worry, but instead, may you heal our vision and allow us to see our circumstances the way you see them, not the way we see them. Give us your perspective that we may not be blind, but that we might see and see our freedom and rejoice in it. Father, we thank you for this day, for your Shabbat, and for your blessing. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Yeshua, our salvation. Amen. Amen. If we could all rise, please. And the Lord spoke unto Moshe and said, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Yeah, <laughs> 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, Shalom. Thank you for joining us for this week's Shabbat live stream. We pray that the teachings and the worship were edifying to you, but most importantly, that they lifted up and blessed the Lord because He has blessed us beyond belief. Even the ability to be able to be speaking to you today, no matter where you're at, it's a blessing. And we, we cannot thank the Lord enough for that. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, or you would like to give towards our widows and orphans and community funds to help those who are less fortunate, you can do so by visiting HebraicFamily.com. None of our staff takes any types of salaries or stipends, and all of the money is put back into furthering the work of the kingdom for the Lord. May Yeshua the Messiah bless you on the Sabbath. We look forward to seeing you next week. Shalom.